Story. My name is Jessica, and today I am joined with my two co-hosts. Hi, I'm Larry. Hi, it's me, Jonathan. And today is the first episode of Season 2 for our podcast, and we're changing up our format a little bit with the shows that we're covering. The first change is to our sibling wars. So instead of one sibling forcing the other two to sit through a content of their choice, one sibling will suggest a topic and the three of us will propose and debate our decision. The Academy Awards is an exciting annual event for filmmakers and moviegoers alike. We get to see our favorite films and stars receive the highest honor for their achievement. Earlier this year, we were all ecstatic when Parasite won Best Picture against all the other contenders. Oscar goes to Parasite. But what if we placed Parasite against other Best Picture nominees from other years? Would the outcome have been different? That is the concept for this episode's Sibling War. For this episode, I, Larry, proposed a sibling war for the best actress that has won an Academy Award with no restrictions. In other words, the best of the best. Here is our sibling war segment. I personally chose and I proposed Brie Larson. She won best actress for Room. I chose Natalie Portman for her role in Black Swan. And I chose Susan Sarandon for her performance in dead man walking originally i know brie larson from her previous roles in short-term 12 and she absolutely nailed short-term 12 and the thing is i've never seen room so <laughs> it's a little weird to propose this oh you but hadn't seen no room? i hadn't seen room before we watched it yet no, i hadn't no no no, no <laughs> i thought no, you did I, already no no i hadn't I had not seen it but knowing her wait role, before the sibling war before the sibling war, i've never seen room <laughs> But knowing her role in Short Term uh-huh. 12, sure. I was like, if she won an Academy Award for Best Actress for Room, then I know like it must be that good. Nowadays, Brie Larson is like, she's a meme for yeah. being Captain Marvel. But like before, before all this, before all this, okay, Brie Larson is still a pretty damn good actress. And uh, she definitely nailed her performance in Room. In Room, she plays uh, a teenage mother who is captured by her assailant and locked in a shed for about i want to say seven years if i remember correctly and then during this time she raised her son that she had during that time and so in the film she goes and tries to find a way to escape from the shed that they call room so my pick was natalie portman a black swan the last time i saw this was i think earlier this year um only because (laughs) well it was the second time i've seen it Mm -hmm. i already watched it once but that was like a long time ago but the most recent time i watched it was yeah this past year only because you guys know why like bts came out with their song black swan (laughs) and it's it's not surprise there yeah surprise surprise it's not based off of this movie but it has like similar similarities on the same origin yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it feels very, like, I would say, like, it feels very similar. Like, yeah, it's the, similar. It's yeah. not, it's similar, but it's also, like, 
there's a lot of differences within it. But anyway, that was the last time I watched it, right? Mm-hmm. But come on, you guys. Natalie Portman, she is like a freaking household name. Well, minus Star Wars, okay? Like, forget that. Scratch <laughs> that. Prequel, yeah. Scratch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget that she did that, okay? Other than that, like, Black Swan, in this role, she is going a little nutso. And she, I think, plays the role so well of, you know, having like two distinct playing like two distinct characters so in this role she's a ballerina and she basically wants to be the best of the best in you know in this swan lake so she she does what she has to do to get this role but then this role starts to kind of you know take over her and she starts going a little crazy because she thinks like someone else is after her role and this whole movie just like follows her like transformation of becoming the black swan so i think natalie portman she's such a like a method actor she chooses roles that like that will bring out something different in her so yeah natalie portman is my pick i chose susan sarandon in dead man walking i first well okay when larry had proposed this i looked through the list of all the actresses in all the movies that they were in and i felt it was a little unfair because i hadn't seen a lot of them and so i wanted to pick one that i had seen before cough cough larry um (laughs) and so i was like okay which one of these have i seen and that i'm like okay this is a good film and the actress did well in it and that movie was dead man walking Uh, with Susan Sarandon and I'd watch this film actually for a film class when I was in seminary we like watched in class and then we discussed it afterwards and I think Susan Sarandon does great in this film I mean it's a very slow burn but I think that's the point because on death row people who are sentenced to death by the death penalty like they also experienced that sort of slow move towards their own ending. In Dead Man Walking, Susan Sarandon plays this nun who receives a letter from a man on death row, Matthew Ponslet, and visits him in jail. They're complete strangers, and she ends up befriending him and becoming his friend and kind of spiritual guidance counselor towards the end of his life on death row. And so she gets to know this man. She gets to know his family. She gets to know the families that are involved in the crime that he committed and and, and all that stuff. I think it's a beautiful film if you give it the time. It was also released in 95, so it's definitely aged. And Susan Sarandon did great in it. I thought. I thought you were going to say Susan Sarandon didn't age. (laughs) She did not. She looks the exact same. (laughs) I thought that's what you were going to say for some reason. Anyways. Yeah, it was a surprisingly good movie. I actually liked it a lot. I mean, I was, what, six when Dead Man Walking came out? And so definitely not a movie for a six-year-old to watch. (laughs) No. (laughs) Definitely not. Oh, man. Yeah, but amazing film and great acting in it. So I guess we'll start voting now. Like I said, I was really surprised by uh, Susan Sarandon's performance. It is definitely aged. In fact, I don't really remember the first 30 minutes of the film because it's that slow. Yeah, but, it's quite um, slow. Yeah, things started picking up a lot better in the later half. And that's when her performance started to shine a lot more. But I'm actually going to pick Natalie Portman <laughs> in Black Swan because I'm a little biased towards Darren Aronofsky. Just a little biased. And watching Black Swan yesterday... 
I was like, man, like I totally forgot how good this film was. Like I was like, why, why did I like this film so much? Because I watched this film when I was in college, but I just remembered it being a good film. I just couldn't remember why. And I sat through it. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember why. Uh, Natalie Portman's performance is definitely part of it. So I'm picking Natalie Portman. Uh, with Dead Man Walking, Susan Sarandon. I feel like, yeah, her... You became a Dead Man Walking. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> I was like, oh, when is this going to end? <laughs> Similar to what Larry said, like your comment on her performance shining, it didn't shine until like the last, literally the last 20 minutes. And they were like kind of just talking. It was the day of, you know, his execution. Like, I feel like that's when her performance picked up too. Because I feel like before the last 20 minutes, I feel like Sean Penn shined more than than Susan Sarandon did. And yeah. I've never seen a Sean Penn film. Like, I know who he is, and I know he's a good actor. But I think he really shined in, like, the first, more than the first half of the film. Mm-hmm. And then Susan Sarandon kind of just, like, stole the show from there. But I'm going to have to pick Brie Larson because I have seen Room, and I also love Brie Larson, so surprisingly i am going to give this to Natalie portman because i didn't think brie larson did that great in room i thought she did fine but i think knowing brie larson as an actress overall shows how great of an actress she is in room does that make sense Mm -hmm. whereas natalie portman if you've never seen natalie portman before and you watch Black Swan, I think you definitely are like, okay, wow, this is a great actress, you know? And so, yeah, I'm going to give it to Natalie Portman. I feel like sometimes it's a little unfair when it comes to, like, Best Actress Awards because some roles are written in such a way that demands a better actress. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I feel mm-hmm. this way for these three movies. I definitely feel that for Black Swan. Like, the main role in Black Swan demands a very, very great actress to play it whereas i feel like the other two films dead man walking in room not necessarily it's like yes you need a good actress but like i feel like black swan just demands more Mm -hmm. so yeah that's my vote black swan natalie portman yay yes (laughs) yeah if you have not seen it go check it out cool thank you larry for the sibling war debate and next we will get started on mulan it's the summer of 2020 and like most summers people are watching movies you could argue that in the summer of 2020 more movies are being watched than ever in the history of cinema but something is different about this summer very different movie theaters are empty some movie theaters are completely empty and closed there's a pandemic that's keeping people from going outside and socializing so what better thing to do than sit inside and watch a movie So much of life has changed because of COVID-19, the disease that's responsible for the pandemic of 2020. What was supposed to be a blockbuster-packed summer has turned out to be a summer of scrolling through titles on Netflix. Entertainment companies, especially companies like Walt Disney, have hit the ground hard, so they're forced to try out new things. Mulan, which was supposed to come out in theaters in March, was pushed to the beginning of summer, in the end of summer, and then the news hits that Mulan was going to be available on Disney Plus for a premium. A big ol' whopping $30 to have access to the film. The crowds went wild. And not in a good way. 
For us, the $30 didn't seem that heavy, so we knew we wanted to support the film. What we didn't know was what we were getting ourselves into. Here's a quick synopsis and our opening thoughts on the film. This Mulan 2020 follows Mulan on her journey to basically, you know, taking her father's role in this, you know, the war so that her father doesn't have to go. And it kind of follows her journey to, you know, finding herself. But yeah, first impressions, I was like trying to pay attention to the movie, pay attention to the chat. So it was like a little, little hard. For those of you who don't know, we held a Mulan watch party on the day it came out. On, and I was like, damn it, but I didn't want to stop because I didn't want to, you know, lose my place. So I was like, dang, you know. It's it's Disney, and they're doing a live-action Mulan. So my hopes are, like, all the way up to the sky, you know? Like, my expectations are very high. And there were just so many things for me, first impressions, like, so many things that I missed that was it was in the animated that wasn't in the... Um, in the live action like I knew I was uh, I just literally my expectations were high but I was trying to bring them down lower so that like you know I wouldn't my hopes weren't you know just I don't know gone to the grave or something (laughs) but yeah first impressions I wasn't the biggest fan of it um it was just missing a lot of things that's all I'm going to say for right now. <laughs> okay. I was mainly curious, like, throughout the whole film. I was really curious about how they were going to pace themselves. Like, are they going to go super quick? Are they going to go super slow? Or what are they going to do? What are they going to develop? Uh, what are they going to work on? What are they going to show? So I was mainly on the lookout for that. Mainly, like, big differences between the animation and the live action. Even after the film finished, I had to really, like, ponder and think about, like, what it is I liked and disliked about it. So First impressions. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. That's all. That's my first impressions. All right. All right. It's fine. (laughs) Overall, that's how I really felt about the film, though. It was just fine. Not amazing. Not terrible. Just fine. For a movie that's so close to our hearts because of the magic that it brought to us as children, that's not really a good thing. But what was good about Mulan? Was there anything that we liked? Well, here's some of our conversation about that. I like the throwback to the music from the animation yeah Uh, because the music was one of the more iconic things from mulan not only mulan just being like an asian story but like the music it was it wasn't alan Menken's time but still like for those of you who don't know alan Menken is the musical mastermind behind disney films like the little mermaid beauty and the beast aladdin and pocahontas just to name a few Notable songwriters and composers for Mulan include Matthew Wilder and David Zappel, who wrote Reflection, and Jerry Goldsmith, who composed the score and that oh-so-memorable moment when Mulan cuts her hair with her father's sword. I did like the new song that they had with Christina Aguilera, the Loyal, Brave, and True. I did like that song. Loyal, Brave, and True is the ending title song to Mulan, and it reinforces the idea that a warrior is... Well, loyal, brave, and true. Although Jessica liked this track, I couldn't get over the pentatonic scale motifs and inserts of Chinese musical instruments here and there. It's as if the writers and producer tried to create this song and then they asked themselves, wait, we have to make it sound Asian. Ah, yeah, let's make the vocal riff a pentatonic scale 
and then insert an Asian sounding string instrument, which is more reminiscent of a Japanese koto than a Chinese guchang. But hey, no one can really tell the difference anyway. Okay, okay. Off of the ranting soapbox for now. We'll return to this criticism later, though. What else did we like about the film? This film was filmed for the big screen. I feel like it needs to be watched in theaters because there are just so many beautiful shots in there that I just Mm -hmm. had to unfortunately watch on my really (laughs) tiny TV. You know what I mean? And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's just unfortunate that we are in the times that we are because... Like, there are just some beautiful sunset shots, some beautiful landscape shots of China and stuff like that, too. Which, there's a flip side to that. I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about that later. Um, like, them filming in China, there's a big scandal that I'm sure everybody's already heard If you of. haven't yet heard of these scandals, we'll cover them later. But for now, scandals. more of the good yeah. stuff. Yeah, I know. Regardless, the, the landscape shots are absolutely beautiful. Um, and some, some of the cinematography is just great. And then I also feel like they they did a lot of good things in terms of like empowering women on the mm-hmm. screen. Um, yeah, I which, agree. Which I, I I really really loved. There was um, you know kind of Mulan chasing after her own like what does this mean you know for for me if I have this if this is who I am. And I think I think that that's really great. And then you have kind of the redemption of of one of the villains in the film, who is a woman, who is also trying to empower Mulan too in that sort of way, kind of support you know other women. And then there's her sister, who kind of went the traditional route of getting matched with a husband, and Mulan was able to celebrate in that with her and not like tear her down and say like oh why are you still you know going through all the traditional things that's bad you know like it's it's actually still a good thing um and that's kind of her choice to go through the, with the traditional route and so there there are a lot of good moments of you know uh women empowerment and and i i really appreciate that from this film so yeah and i think other than that that's it <laughs> okay (laughs) i agree with you jonathan about like the women empowerment like if you're friends with me and you know me like you know being mong and you know being a mong woman you're there are expectations of you as you know you know your role as like a wife anya and like i'm not just making a weird sound here i'm saying the mong word for daughter-in-law which is nya for those of us who grew up in the mong culture there are a lot of implications that come with this one word one of the jokes we make as mong young adults is the idea of a nya kopa or a ten thousand dollar daughter-in-law whenever we see one of our friends doing chores or being elders or speaking mong well we call them a nya kopa although now we've made the joke gender non-exclusive by calling our male friends val gopa when we see them doing similar things. So like for me, like I hated growing up, like I hated being put in like that box. I'm just like, no, like I'm, that's not going to be my life's purpose. Like I'm going to have more to my life than, and driven and be more driven than just like you know just take care of my husband and you know like and my my kids and like that's it no like (laughs) if you know me i'm just like no 
there's more of that. So like I really appreciate like what they did with that, like with the women empowerment. And definitely like Asian representation. I'm glad they didn't have, you know, oh yellow face, like a white woman <laughs> trying to be Asian. I'm just like, no thanks. For those of you who aren't familiar with the term yellow face, again, it is a white person playing an Asian role. The practice of yellow face began a long time ago in Hollywood and is still common today with actresses like Emma Stone and Scarlett Johansson playing roles that are meant for Asian people. Back in the day, actresses even went on to win Oscars for their performances in yellow face. Gross? Yeah, we think so too. Um, so I'm glad that, you know, they did cast all Asians. Yeah, I'm glad Matt Damon and... didn't make an appearance too. <laughs> or Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> I'm making a reference to Matt Damon's appearance in the film The Great Wall, where he plays a white savior figure. A white savior is essentially when a white person, usually male, comes to the rescue of people of color. If it's not yellow face, it's the white savior problem. And, you know, and our Hmong brother, Duel Moa, hello, like Hmong, Hmong American, you know, representation on the screen. Like it was. Yeah, that's it was, great. It was really great to see him on screen. Like, I mean, we we saw him in, um, if you guys have seen Gran Torino, he's also in Gran Torino. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, he's in there. I, I heard the sergeant was Hmong, too. Was he? The sergeant who was, like, telling everyone, like, you know, disgrace or dishonor on your family. <laughs> dishonor laying on. out all the rules. Yeah, yeah lay all the rules. <laughs> yeah, I heard he was. Death. Yeah, I heard he was oh, okay. Hmong, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, not see like more representation, right? Because um, just from all the, the the good things I've seen, like Duel posted, like you know people messaging him and just being so appreciative of like him, you know, pursuing his dreams. So like it's it's great, you know, seeing like someone who is Hmong, and you know we're obviously the lesser of the Asian minorities, right? I don't mean lesser in a negative sense here. I just mean we're hard to find. And yes, of the 17.3 million Asian Americans in the 2010 census, there are about 260,000 Hmong Americans. And with the inclusion of a Hmong actor, that about concluded our list of good things we liked about Mulan. Now, here's a conversation about the not-so-great things. I thought the story moved a little bit too fast. One minute Mulan is chasing down the Warrens on horseback. And the next minute, she is in the geyser pool with the witch lady finding herself. Um, and then right after that, she yeah. reveals herself yep. yeah. and fights fights mm -hmm. all the Warrens. And that was a really, I want to say a long sequence, but it was a pretty significant sequence in the animation. And so I was a little disappointed how they just kind of sped through that in like less than 10 minutes, I'd say. Less than 5-10 minutes. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. Because not only that, but like most Chinese epics or Chinese wuxia films, like they tend to flesh out a lot and they take freaking forever to kind of get to their story. Like Untamed, for example, and uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, very slow burn, but like very like epic in its scale and how they flesh out all the characters. I'm naming two giants in Chinese storytelling here. The Untamed, a 50 episode Chinese wuxia drama that has garnered over 8 billion views worldwide, and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, a wuxia film released in 2000 that broke Oscar and box office records. Wuxia is a Chinese word that references a specific type of story. Like, if someone told you they were going to tell an urban legend or a sci-fi story, you already know what to expect. Similarly, wuxia is a category of story. Wuxia typically takes place in the Jianghu, or fictional martial arts world. Wuxia is heavily influenced and grew out of a Chinese literature genre. 
The Jianghu is usually set in ancient China, but doesn't look at real historical figures. Instead, it focuses on fictional people or characters from legends with superpower like martial arts. The original story of Mulan is a poem, so one could interpret it into a wuxia story, especially with the idea of qi being so center to the live-action adaptation. Every sort of universe has their rules and their laws on what happens in that universe, right? Like, mm-hmm. for example, in Lord of the Rings, um, Tolkien's elves are tall, right? Like, they're not... <laughs> They're not the short Keebler Santa elves, you know what right. I mean? Like they're the <laughs> tall, very elegant elves. Long, you know what lean. I mean? Yeah. So it's like okay, elegant, cool. Yeah. Those are elves. You know what I mean? Um. Keebler <laughs> elves, <laughs> or the elves from um, Eurovision? <laughs> yeah, the Santa elves. Um, and so you know, like like you know, everybody kind of has their own. Like okay, these are elves, and so I kind of felt like they were trying to do that with Chi, um, because. Like, they made Chi feel like something that was exclusive to, like, only men can use it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so women who use Chi are looked bad, who are looked down upon. Um, And the funny thing is, or the ironic thing is that, like, they're also trying to be, like, a martial arts wuxia sort of film, right? Like, you can kind of feel that from the scarf cloth fighting with Mm -hmm. um you know like all that stuff like it kind of feels like like they're trying to be like a a, like a wuxia film and so the the irony is that like in wuxia films and in wuxia lore women are allowed to have chi you know like women are almost expected to have it Mm -hmm. right that's why they're Um, all like badasses in in wuxia films and right you look at like crouching tiger hidden dragon and michelle yo's character like She's not less of a woman because she has chi, you know what I mean? And she uses it. Like, um, she, she's still a woman, but then she just has chi, you know? And so, like, like I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about the writers kind of taking that very core element of what it means to be, like, wuxia fantasy, Chinese fantasy, and then kind of, like, messing with it to make it dependent on your gender. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, making it a gender issue now, right. you know? Um, and so that was a little weird for me having watched like so many like wuxia stuff and like seeing that like, like wuxia fantasy and Chinese fantasy treats men and women on very equal levels in terms of power and like identity and stuff like that. And like, you know, women can be just as strong as men when it can when it comes to like Kung Fu and martial arts and when it comes to chi. It, it just it just kind of feels weird to watch Mulan then and to have Chi be such a gendered problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was really weird um, and a little ironic because it's like, oh, we're trying to be like this, but then we're going to kind of like spin it and twist it in, in such a way where it's now like a male-female problem, you know? Um, so I don't know how I feel about that. I think I don't like it. Um but then again, also, like, I prefaced this with the idea of, like, oh, these are elves in Tolkien's, you know. <laughs> so, like, if Tolkien wants to make those kind of elves, sure. But then we have, like, white people who are the writers for this film, right? And they're taking, like, something that is kind of like an Eastern uh, idea mm-hmm. or an Asian idea. Like, like they almost didn't do their research. 
yeah. or didn't want to do their research. Or, or they tried to. They and, tried to and, like, and they, should have they, asked they someone halfway. but didn't. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, like, it was, like, the night of that they had to turn in their, their script and they're like, oh, shoot, like, you know, like, cramming. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. it, oh, no, I, I just want to butt in real quick. I, I think yeah, yeah, the reason it. why if they felt like they had to do it is because the core story of Mulan is originally about those two gendered things male and female i just think right. chi was the wrong thing to use right yeah right she was the wrong thing to right. use like mulan originally used tradition you know tradition honor etc right. or whatever which is why mulan was fine the, the animation was fine but then the live action yeah. uses chi and it's like bro chi everyone can use chi bro <laughs> like, what, <are> you doing? <laughs> what are you talking about everyone can use chi man <laughs> oh man I was I kept on joking with my roommates while we were watching this. Like I kept on joking that Donnie Yen is gonna be is gonna be like um, Mulan. I know you can use the Force. Like use the Force <laughs> with me, you know? Because Donnie Yen is also in uh, Rogue One, and he's all about the Force in Rogue One. And so I kept on joking about that. Um, but I feel like it's the same thing, you know? Like it's it's like everybody can use the Force in Star Wars, you know? Like men, women, whatever, you know, children. Same thing with, like, Chi, you know? And so for them, again, to paint Chi in such a way, um, it just kind of feels a little weird, especially because it's white folks doing it, you know? Maybe that's the big problem with Mulan. It's a Western telling of an Asian story. Everything just feels really... And excuse my language here. It feels oriental. And I do mean that in a negative way. There's this sense of Orientalism in the film that hangs over like bad incense. From the overly vibrant colors and makeup to Mulan's village to the story and even the dubbing of Jet Li's voice. Everything just feels like a white person came in and said, actually, let's make this more Chinese. This is what I meant earlier when I was talking about loyal, brave, and true. The sense of Orientalism in this film is a little overbearing and all too real which is what i feel like the writing for this film is just not is just all over the place and it's not good it's like the writers ordered 200 bags of fortune cookies cracked them all <laughs> open and then took the fortune cookie lines and put them in the script like i felt like that's what they did Oh man, you know that's, I mean? that's a that's a that's a good, great yeah. analogy. Wow, <laughs> I yeah. felt like that's what they did. You know, like so. Why didn't you... they start reading numbers on the back? <laughs> like... So if you like cheesy fortune cookie lines, you will love this film. How else could we tell that a white person was telling this story? Well, a lot of things that Asians and Asian Americans see as important are missing. It's as if. All we care about is being loyal, brave, and true, and our honor. We can't forget our honor. What else is important to our culture? Well, food is, like, such an important part in, like, Asian culture. Like, you know, a lot of things happen around the dinner table. I mean, you could say that about, like, any culture, really. But, like, for Asian culture, it's, like, it's a huge thing. Just being around food, gathering, like, being in the kitchen, cooking, and all this stuff. Like, I feel like that was missed opportunities in the movie we saw like little little clippets of it yeah, uh, mm -hmm. snippets of it but uh, i wish there were more you can argue that there are moments with food when mulan's dad gets mad at mulan they're eating at the dinner table and one of mulan's few scenes with her friends if you can call them that happens around lunchtime when they eat together but we asians absolutely need a food montage 
We can't even tell what they're eating, and that is a huge bummer. Another way we could tell white people did this was Mulan's relationship with her dad. Here's a little bit of our conversation on that. This dad just must have been—I don't know—like hella progressive. Coolest, yeah, hella progressive, <laughs> like the coolest dad ever, because you know, like Asian dads aren't affectionate, like Asian parents. Most, I'm not gonna say all, like most, right? That's、mm-hmm. that's just how like they grew up. That's what they learned from their families and their dads and their parents or whatever. Yeah, they gotta be so, strong like, and they gotta be. Yeah, you gotta be strong and、yeah. you know be the man of the household, the head of the household. And so I feel like at the end when when the dad's like,、mm. you know,、uh, opening his, you know, it's like、um, open arms, you know, welcoming like. Mulan back, and I was just, I was just saying, like, wouldn't it have been funny if instead of her dad hugging her, he like said, like, "Are you hungry?" I feel like, <laughs>、yeah. or like, "Did you eat yet?" I feel like all the Asian people would have cried and be like, "Yeah, dad, <laughs> I'm hungry." <laughs> I want to add on to that a little bit too. That like, I think also the way that we receive love from our parents too, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I was debating whether or not I want to share this, but I think, I think this is, think this is really important. Um, yeah, I shared this with my roommates, and and this kind of gave them kind of like a bigger, like, oh, that makes so much sense.、Um, but a couple years ago, I had come out to my parents, and it was something that like I kind of consulted, like my whole family about because I felt like this was a family ordeal. And after I'd come out to my parents, like my parents still like like they kind of just looked at me. My mom was crying. And my dad, you know, like they they both they both looked at me and they said that they still loved me, right? And as much as like, <laughs> as much as I believe that, a part of me like received it, but then had a hard time like grasping it and saying like, oh yeah, my parents are still going to love me like despite. My identity and despite who I am and stuff like that, like I'm still their son. Like I want to believe that, right? But、um, I think it was like dur- during that trip, I was flying out, and my dad insisted on taking me to the airport. I think I had originally asked Larry to take me, but then my dad was like, "No, I'll take you." And I was just kind of like, "Okay, whatever," you know. And so my dad took me to the airport, and we were. We were riding and driving, and then when we almost got there, my dad like he looked at me and he was still driving and he was kind of paying attention driving and also at the same time not looking at me. But he took like money out of his wallet and he gave it to me and he said, "This is for you. I, I want you to take it." And it was like maybe like a hundred, a hundred fifty dollars. And it was at that moment that I realized that my dad still loved me. That no matter what I did or what I told them. No matter me coming out, like it didn't change that he loved me. You know what I mean? Like he could have told me however many times he wanted. Like during our conversation, he could have hugged me, like any of that stuff. But then I wouldn't have received it. You know, I wouldn't have really believed it. And, but then it was in that moment where, like, my dad insisted on taking me to the airport, where my dad insisted on giving me the money, that I realized that, like. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, my parents are gonna love me no matter what, and <laughs> that didn't happen at the end of Mulan. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I mean, if that did happen, man, we all would have been bawling and crying like this is a great movie. You know, that's what we would have said. Like that one scene would have redeemed the whole movie. 
but uh, yeah, it, yeah, like. Do you guys know what I'm yes. talking about, though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like, yeah. like, like for Asian parents, you know, they don't flat out say like I love you. I mean, I feel like now, like now that we've grown up, it's changed a little bit. Like, I feel like we're more affectionate. I don't know. I am. Like, I tell mom and dad like I love right, them, right. and that you know, like I give them hugs and stuff. Um, because, you know, we didn't do that growing up. Um, so like I do that now, but like my parents, my parents will not be the first ones to say, I love you. Like, (laughs) yeah, but they'll, they'll tell me they love me in a different way. You know what I mean? Right. Which, which like that, it's, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it could just be like for Asian people, but like it's, they show their loves through like acts of service Mm -hmm. or, or action in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Or action, yeah. yeah, like like cleaning or like doing, you know, cooking and making a full meal. Like whenever we go home, like and visit Jason's family, like his mom cooks him like this huge meal, and Janet's always like, uh, "Mom doesn't do this for us all the time." Like it's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's how, like that's how she oh, shows, man. you know, Jason that she loves him. Like she cooks him like his favorite foods and you know things like that. So you're like, yeah. yeah. So I feel like, like even. Maybe, again, like, with the writing, like, they wouldn't have known that, like, because they're white. (laughs) (laughs) They just opened a bunch of fortune cookies, I told you. (laughs) Yep. I really do think they just ordered a bunch of fortune cookies and had the interns crack them all open and find the best ones. In addition to the not-so-great dialogue and, at least from an Asian perspective, awkward relationship between Mulan and her father... The characters themselves were a little lacking. The character development, there was none. Zero. (laughs) Zilch. Like, none at all. Like, in the animated film, we get Mulan bonding with her friends, right? Like, and that's what this movie missed was that. Like, I get the stories about Mulan. Like, that's what it was in the animated film. But why couldn't she had any more scenes with with like her friends. Jess is making a lot of comparisons here between the animated film and the live action film. It's hard not to. There were also some scenes that come straight from the animated film that just don't hit as hard in the live action. The scene where Mulan leaves her family is one of them. Like the cutting of the hair, the taking her dad's armor, his sword, like his her dad was just like, oh, my stuff is gone. Like, dude, like seriously, that's <laughs> it? That's all we're going to get? Like, my stuff is gone. Maybe the hair cutting thing I kind of get because men had longer hair back then anyway. But then in the animated film, her hair wasn't that short. It was still like, you know, shoulder length. So I feel like she could have cut it. There are just so many scenes that were like missing that could have been written to make the movie yeah like like the hair cutting thing isn't (laughs) a logical thing it's supposed to be a symbolic thing right yeah that's why people are so like like, disappointed that it wasn't there yeah yeah Yeah, because like even like for women like when we cut our hair i feel like it's a start of something new like something fresh like a new season i feel like that's for me like when i cut my hair like okay like i'm cutting off all these things that you know have weighed me down basically so i feel like like, that was an iconic scene that they left out, and I think Ming-Na, like, threw a little shade Mulan has got to be one of the most scandalous films to come out this year, and that's very unfortunate. The very first scandal to have risen was main actress Liu Yifei's social media message 
which was in favor of the Hong Kong police during the Hong Kong riots. This message started the hashtag Boycott Mulan. In today's cancel culture, a lot of people are okay with boycotting something because of a single person. For the three of us, it mattered, but not enough to cancel the other hundreds or maybe even thousand other people who poured their hearts into the making of this film. But this scandal, this pushes us over. When Mulan released, it was shown in the credits that Disney thanked the Xinjiang government's publicity department and the public security and tourism bureaus for Japan. These governmental institutions are linked directly to Xinjiang, where as many as 2 million minorities, who are mostly Muslim, have been imprisoned in enormous re-education camps since 2015. The Turpan Public Security Bureau is even listed by the United States government as an organization that violates and abuses human rights. Yikes. I don't know how anyone at Disney didn't catch this while scouting for the film. Maybe they couldn't hear the screams of marginalized people over the sound of fortune cookies being cracked open. You can probably tell that we didn't love this film. It was one of the biggest letdowns of 2020. Well, besides life being shut down, that is. We'll leave you with some of our final thoughts. Personally, like, Mulan just had so many missed opportunities because you already had so many great examples of, like, Chinese cinema and everything. I I know Hollywood is big, Bollywood is big, but the next one I personally think is, like, Chinese uh, Hong Kong films. Like, you cannot beat them on their scale when it comes to telling uh, their kind of stories. Like, their, their fantasy stories, their wuxia stories, their their dramas, their epics, their whatever it is. Like, they've been telling these stories for a very long time. So you have, like, so many people, so many talented people, so many people you use as consultants that they didn't take advantage of and they wanted to tell this story instead. Huge missed opportunity. I don't recommend this film at all, but I would personally say that if you want to see what not to do, you can definitely watch this film. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, for me, I feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place because, you know, like I, you know, we, we want to support Asian films and Asian American films and, you know, like representation and, and this is important, but I think this film also makes me realize that like Asian representation in front of the screen is important, but Asian representation behind the screen is just as important. I feel like you know asian asian american writers asian asian american director would have been great addition to this film and and that that was missing and i could tell so much you know that's unfortunate do i recommend this film i usually don't do recommendations i do ratings and so my rating for this film would be a five out of ten Wow. Which yeah. is pretty yeah, bad. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I usually mm-hmm. don't give below 7 because yeah, a 7 out of 10 is a C, and that's average. 5 <laughs> out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Um, my thoughts are similar to yours, Jonathan. Like, you can clearly tell that, you know, this film just had so many things wrong with it. Like, from if you're, I guess, an Asian perspective... Um, that's why we're the outside story. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like our perspective is going to be different from every other person. But anyways, you can tell like this story wasn't written with us in mind. It was very Western mind thinking. There was, <laughs> there was a part that when I watched it again today, I watched it a second oh, time today okay. for this <laughs> podcast. Okay. I, I cringed throughout the whole time I watched it. <laughs> Um, there was and this Ollie part where, you, right? 
Yeah, Ollie, Ollie did watch it with me. But there's this part where Mulan's like, no, I can't show my chi. And I was like, who are you, Elsa? Like, <laughs> what the heck? I must not, you know, show my powers or whatever. Conceal, I was like, don't feel. <laughs> exactly. That's, 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 that's Mulan, that's, but with Frozen that, soundtrack. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> exactly. I was just like, I feel like, so, and it, it's, it just blows my mind that, like, Disney can write great films, like, cart, like, animated films, right? Their writing on those are usually top-notch. Like, I really love Inside Out, the depths of all the characters. Like, that's an amazing film, like, yeah. Inside Out. And the writing for that is spectacular. But then, like, what happens when it becomes live action? It all just goes to shit like <laughs> like i mean just look at all the live action films that they've done granted i've really only seen like a few of them because i'm not interested in seeing the live action like beauty and the beast i saw but i don't remember it that well i didn't watch cinderella lion king was a hell no i wasn't gonna watch that um aladdin aladdin was okay I, actually i kind of watched it but i didn't really care for it yeah. so it's like disney i'm gonna tell you right now stop all production on any live action film <laughs> that you want to remake of you know the previous animated movies like just don't like something happens from you know like what we were talking about earlier from like trying to keep it like to what the story was but also like kind of changing it a little bit too like this whole thing just gets lost in translation and it's just bad overall and um yeah but anyways but then again like i said i was watching it today with my son oliver who is five and he was pretty into it the whole movie um except for maybe the last 20 minutes or so he kind of he was kind of like done mm-hmm. he just wanted to play but he was really interested in it which for me as a mom like it was really fun to see and watch him be really interested in something because he doesn't really like live action mm-hmm. stuff he's a kid right, he likes right. animated stuff so it was just it was fun to see him really just into it paying attention like asking questions and you know like I love to see that. I love him watching other people that look like him on screen. Like he might not understand that right now because he's so young, but you know, like hopefully it'll change for the better by the time he gets older. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I feel like to anyone, this is just like a PSA to anyone who is writing something. Like if you're gonna write a story about someone of a different race you need a person of color whoever that is like you need you need to you to need to be ask in yourself si- first like am yeah. i the person to tell this story exactly <laughs> exactly like yeah so anyway i implore anyone who is writing screenwriting writing a book anything yeah like just think about that and when consult you others right yeah consult others yeah. don't just you can definitely use your experience you know in some ways but like don't try to base your whole, you know, film script, whatever, off of someone else's experience that you think they would have done it this way. Yeah. It's just really sad that, you know, all this hype for this movie and it was just like not everything we wanted it to be. I think that's how like all of us felt, like all Asian people felt, like all of our friends like on Facebook, like it's it was just hilarious seeing like everyone's comments. Like Mulan was bad, it was whack, it was <laughs> trash. I was just like I was just laughing because it's 
anyways, but yeah, so I do ratings too, and I would probably, yeah, same thing with like you, John, I would give it a five. Like, if I could, maybe a three. <laughs> wow, dropped it way lower. <laughs> okay, maybe yeah, a little bit. Okay, a four. A four. Like, it wasn't bad. It was pretty bad, but. <laughs> it was bad, but, like, I. What's worse, Dead Man Walking or Mulan? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I, I can't choose between those two. <laughs> well, one won an Academy Award. <laughs> so I think we know which one won. I mean, this one, they might win for, like, I don't know, best music or so, the best original song mm, or something. I don't no. know. They might. I like Loyal, Brave, and True. That song was a good song. But, yeah, that my rating is very low, and it's just really sad to see like one of our favorite childhood films come to live action and be like a total flop so yeah those are kind of my (laughs) final thoughts on mulan (sighs) will it get remade again if it does then um you need some asian writers or all asian people behind the screen (laughs) writing producing directing because you can i feel like you can if you watch crazy rich asians if you watch the farewell and you compare the writing directing to mulan it's totally different you know what i mean like you can tell yeah. how different it is if you're like us and need movie and tv snacks to get you through the pandemic here are some of the shows and films we've been snacking on while we wait for stuff to release oh and a special announcement during this whole quarantine i've been watching a lot of uh korean variety shows and the big one i've been watching is called master in the house which is basically these five dudes go they, they go to like uh someone who's like an expert in their field so like an actor an actress a ceo someone and they pretty much just follow them around for like a day and just kind of kind of you know pick their mind a little bit pick their brains I've been binge watching that. Like that that show is surprisingly very addicting. Like I, I learned a lot about like really old school artists and uh, musicians and actors, actresses. Very very interesting topics and very lovable cast and whatnot. And also I recently watched Enter the Fat Dragon with Donnie Yen. <laughs> Enter the Fat Dragon is a is a is an old school film by uh, Samuel Hung. It's like a satirical comedy on like Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon film, basically. And so Enter the Fat Dragon with Donnie Yen is a remake of that film. And I just thought it was really hilarious because they make so much throwbacks to like Donnie Yen's old films. But they got like a really bad score on IMDb. It's like three or four stars. I'm like, bro, like this is like a Donnie Yen fan film. Like this is like I love this film because it's for Donnie Yen fans. But like everyone else just didn't like it. I was like, no, I, I love the film. I loved it. Also, we're preparing for our Halloween special next month, and I just recently finished The Wailing this past week. Uh, we're, we're watching all these uh, other horror films too, um, but for this particular podcast episode, I just finished The Wailing, and I thought that was just like that. That movie—it's it, a South Korean horror film released like 2016. Like that movie deserves its own episode, its own podcast episode. Like I'm this tempted to like suggest it. Uh, but it's a horror film. But I don't, so I don't know if Jess will watch it. That's the problem. But it's not that bad of horror. That's why I think I can suggest it. But uh, I'm not sure. But we'll we'll wait and see. But yeah, other than that, we're just prepping and preparing for um, 
for our Halloween special. So yeah, that's all I've been doing. Let's see. I feel like it's kind of been a dry season for me in terms of movies and TV and stuff like that. I have a lot of stuff on the docket that I want to watch that I just haven't gotten around to. I finally finished Lock and Key and I thought it was fine. They're coming back with a season two. So eh, that one eh. (laughs) eh. Eh. Uh, I don't know if I'll watch season two um, <laughs> unless it gets really, really good reviews. But I'm really excited for stuff like uh, on the docket, like Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Hello. Like Jordan Peele, executive producer on this. And it's Lovecraft. Oh, I'm excited for that. There's a podcast that I follow. Shout out to um, Scream Queen podcast. They review horror TV and film. And they're both POC. And so it's a lot of fun listening to them, but I think they're talking through Lovecraft country right now and I can't listen to their podcasts because (laughs) I don't want to get spoiled. And so I'm going to start watching that soon though. I'm excited for that. But I mean, other than that, it's honestly been a little slow, just kind of waiting for stuff to come out, especially like what was supposed to be like a summer blockbuster, you know, like season is just now just kind of dead because of COVID. Thanks COVID. Um, Yeah. But I can't think of anything else besides that. Yeah. Jess? Yeah. So I finished It's Okay to Not Be Okay, which is, I really enjoyed it. It's really good. K-drama on Netflix. You guys can check it out. I don't want to explain it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, Just a little fun fact. The original title of that that show is Uh called I'm a Psycho and It's Okay. Like, yeah, that's the original (laughs) title. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense but, too. Like the the main character, yeah, she's yeah, a but little psycho. That just but, doesn't translate um, well. So they said it's okay not to yeah. be okay. I'm like I think that's a better title for a K drama. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Yeah, uh, but it was a really yeah, but it was a really good K drama. Um, I talked a lot about mental health, which was I found very surprising, especially for uh, Asian Korean drama because you know in the Asian community we don't really talk about that stuff. So it was great they did, and then. Uh, I kind of went through like a little bit of a dry spell too and then I got bored and started watching Stranger Things again. The first season was (laughs) so good. I was Mm -hmm. like wow it's so good. I can't like I forgot how good it was but then I kind of stopped there. I didn't go to the next seasons. There's three um, seasons out right now? They're on their fourth one right? That's coming out soon. Yeah, they're going to be on their fourth one. At least it's their last one. I haven't even watched the third season. I didn't really love second season. Yeah, second season was okay. Yeah. Third, Third season, season, I heard, was, it was either hit or better. Missed. Like you either really loved it or you did not like it. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. a fan. I, mean, so I like the gonna... first season so much. I love I, it. I'm, I'm having a hard time trying to watch the other the other ones because I don't want to <laughs> yeah. ruin it. For yeah, I don't want to ruin it. The end of your canon myself. Yeah. is season one. Because <laughs> yeah. season one is so good. I think it was perfect. <laughs> it, it is. Was great. Yeah. It's, it's really, really good. But, um, but well, season two is pretty yeah. dark, though. Three kind of lightens up a little bit. Anyways, so yeah, I started watching Stranger Things. Jason and I finished just the first season again. And then I finished Handmaid's Tale finally, which was so good. And then it dragged on a little bit in the third season, but the ending made up for it. Then I finished The Blind Spot. Have you guys, do you guys know what that is? No. That it's like an FBI. Familiar. It's an FBI crime show where this girl. It's not the Sandra she, Bullock like, one. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, <laughs> no, that's football. <laughs> oh yeah, this is no, like I was talking she... about the one where they put the oh the Sandra Bullock meme. Oh, that one, Bird Box. <laughs> yeah, Bird Box. No, 
Not anyway, that. Oh, know. blind side. That's blind side yeah, yeah, yeah. she was in. Anyways, but yeah, it's about this girl, Jane. She like she gets her memories wiped out basically in the first episode. And then like she comes out of uh like a bag in Times Square and people think it's like a bomb, but she like climbs out of it and like she's like tattooed everywhere. So basically the FBI has to figure out what the tattoos mean, blah blah blah. So yeah, it kinda dragged on for five seasons. Like the same stuff five just kept seasons. happening. Five Holy seasons, cow. okay. It was good. I loved it. Like, I loved all, like, the science. It's not science. Like, all the techie. <laughs> science. I was like, it's not science. science. But Bill Nye, science? the science guy, is a dad of someone oh. in the show, which is funny. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And his he really is, like, Bill Nye. But, yeah, I love all, like, the techie stuff, which was fun. Then I was like, oh, I'm on season five. I should just finish it. And then I finally finished it, and I was like, Dang, it stopped. I need more. <laughs> but then I feel like if they did another season, it just would have been like the same thing yeah. over and over again. I'm glad they're done. They're done with that. And then recently started watching a new K-drama that just came out called Record of Youth. It's about two models and a makeup artist. And it stars Jessica from Parasite. She's in it. And it's so weird seeing <laughs> Jessica, her in this. Quotes. Jessica. <laughs> That's not her name. Jessica. Yeah. Jessica. Yeah, so she's in it, and it's so it's interesting to see her in this type of role because, you know, when you watch someone the first time, like in a movie, and then you watch them in something else, you, like, try not to associate their characters, <laughs> but you can't help it. Yeah. You know that they're playing someone else, but anyways. <laughs> I was going to say, like, that's kind of how I felt when I was watching Train to Busan because yeah. the... The main guy in Parasite is the, yeah, the kid the, in Trade the, the Son. The son? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I the didn't son? know that. Yeah. And I was like, he looks hella familiar. Oh, he's from Parasite. <laughs> okay, that's that's where I yep. know him from. Yeah. You gotta love Korean dramas and movies. They all use the same <laughs> actors and actresses. Because yeah. I just recognize so many people in all my dramas. But yeah, so I I like it so far. She's a makeup artist for that's this company in Seoul and she basically she's a fangirl of one of the actors he's a model and he's struggling to be an actor but then she meets him and like tries not to fangirl over him so I think it's so funny <laughs> like trying to keep it professional <laughs> but like super <laughs> exactly like she- so yeah, it's it's just funny because all the things that she says, like it sounds like me when I'm like fangirling over like BTS. I'm just like, Woo. so yeah, it's it's so it's it's interesting. I like it so far, but we'll see if I, I probably still watch it. But since I have nothing else to watch right now, but yeah, that is all I am watching. Oh, and I'm watching uh, BTS in the soup. It's basically another reality show where they just watch them be themselves and do nothing that's i love that <laughs> of course and be crackheads <laughs> of course they're so funny anyways yeah that's all i'm watching so for next month stay tuned to a lot of the stuff again go and visit our website at is it the outside yes the outside, <laughs> yeah, the outside story <laughs> the outside story gosh jonathan the outside story.org Go check it out. We write blogs. We do video essays and other stuff, too, of things that, like, we can't cover on the podcast. And so if you're interested in any of those things, like, please go and check it out. And if you have content that you want to know our thoughts about, like, send it our way. And we will, like, take a look. We'll we'll watch it. If it's a video game, we'll play it. You know, like, we can give our thoughts on it um, if you want to know what we think. But in preparation for October, because it is September already, y'all. Larry and I are, uh, we, we got together and we came up with a list of 
uh, movies that we want to watch for our Halloween special. I mean, our Halloween special last year, so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like little snippets here and there, so the the episodes weren't too long. And a, a lot of a lot of y'all like uh, responded and said that like some of those episodes were like your favorites, and so like uh, we want to go back and kind of do that too. And Larry and I love horror films, just not so much, unfortunately. It, it depends, depends. <laughs> on what it is. You could just give it a try, and then if you don't like it, you could just like turn it off and be like, nope, I'm done. But yeah, so Larry and I came up with the list of movies. Um, we're not going to disclose that list just yet, so stay tuned. Um, and yeah, we're going to do a Halloween special. It's going to be a little bit smaller than last year because last year we were trying to release an episode every day. That's <laughs> yeah, a lot. It's a y'all. lot of work, um, and we don't get paid for it. And so, um, but if y'all want to pay us, please do, <laughs> if, and we'll do if it. If you want to send donations, please do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we have a lot of fun. We're just going to watch horror movies and yeah and and we're just oh and you know there's a lot of good things coming out like lovecraft country i talked about that a little bit earlier it's finishing in october and also the haunting of bly manor is um coming out in october as well and so we want to um watch that of course you guys know that me and larry are big mike flanagan flan boys and so yeah stay tuned for that and i think also larry has something else planned for october as well larry do you want to talk about that yeah sure so in celebration of what we're doing uh for the outside story in october um every weekday starting in october i will be streaming a horror game uh for about three hours from like 9 p.m to midnight and they will be somewhat related to the themes or the subjects of what we'll be talking about each week. I believe the first game I'll be playing is White Day, which is a uh, South Korean horror game. Um, and I posted a snippet of it on, on on my Facebook, and some people were just watching. They're like, "Nope, I, I, I ain't watching that. I ain't sitting through that." Um, but I have beaten White Day, so um, what I'll be doing is I'll be streaming these games using the Outside Story platform. Uh, this platform, so. Uh, I'll be streaming through Facebook, so it won't be like on YouTube or anything. Um, so that way, it's a little more uh, central and concentrated. Um, but the first game will be White Day, um, and I'll be doing a playthrough of that and just kind of go through all, all the little jump scares and scary moments. And uh, you'll see me like noping a lot, but I'll, I'll do my best to have the courage and beat and play through the game <laughs> and beat it. Um, but for for those who y'all yeah, brave. Well, I, <laughs> I'm a chicken in that game. I, I like okay. Most horror games don't phase me. So when White Day phased me, I'm like, okay, that's never happened to me before. Um, but if you do end up missing the live streams, it's totally fine. Uh, I think I have plans to upload it onto the YouTube, onto our YouTube channel uh, later as well, as to kind of like archive it and whatnot. Um, so it'll be White Day and then Detention. And so all these games will try to be little hints of what type of films we'll be talking about uh, throughout that week. Um, so, uh, like I said, it'll be, uh, once every weekday from 9 p.m. to midnight, uh, and that's Pacific Standard Time for the live stream. Um, and then you'll, you'll see the streamed archives on our YouTube channel later as well. So yeah, I'll, I'll release the, the list of games. So if you want to stay and watch like one particular game, like that's totally fine. You don't have to stop by all of them and whatnot, but, um, but yeah, I'll be trying my best to, <laughs> to not, uh, scared to not be too chicken to to play through the game um but yeah yeah so that's pretty much what i'll be doing uh for the outside story during a halloween october special cool sounds like october will be very Mm -hmm. spooky and you know fun filled for halloween (laughs) yeah 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of The Outside Story. And again, I am Jessica. I'm Larry. And I'm Jonathan. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.